Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly afternoon to you. Goodly afternoon. How are you doing, Andrew? How are you feeling today? A uh, bit tired, have to say. Yeah. Um, you know, flew... Worse for wear. Yeah, n- not, I mean, it wasn't too hectic yesterday, but, you know, it was kind of a okay. long day today. The flight from London to Dublin took about 43 minutes um, which was good because, you know, it's kind of uphill, you know, going from London to mm-hmm. Dublin. It's, it's uphill, like it's downhill from Dublin to London. But it was a very quick flight. But um, it took me longer to get home from the airport than it did to fly from London to uh, Dublin. 40 minutes I stood in the taxi rank at Dublin Airport waiting for a cab. Pretty bad. What's going on? Why is everyone coming back to Dublin today? I don't know. I know I it's not really that. It's the fact that there is an issue at Dublin Airport because there's fucking hardly ever any cabs there. When people come in uh, and fly it's like, "Oh look, a whole load of people have arrived. If only we could have, you know, predicted that and planned to have sufficient transport for them." So, yeah, that was a bit annoying, but I'm a bit tired, but I'm I'm satisfied as well. It's a satisfied kind of tired. You know that way? It was all worth it. Oh, it, yeah. I agree. I agree. Uh, am I right in saying that you were, I think you told me you were inspired to come over for the Crystal Palace game by events against Bournemouth. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. I was sitting there on the Saturday night after the Bournemouth game, watching all the videos and all the, you know, all the enjoyment of that particular 
win. And I said to myself, you know what? I need another fix. I need another mm-hmm. go because the previous game I'd been at was the Brentford game and that was a 1-1. And of course, uh, there was some frustration about that result, not just because of the fact that it was a draw, but because of the way the draw transpired. And I was sitting there going, I've got to get back over. I have to go and experience the Emirates atmosphere again and hopefully you know, get a better outcome than a 1-1 draw. And very thankfully, I did. So you did. Uh, I did. I did. A much better outcome. Three goals better. Three goals better and no evil intervention by VAR. One less evil intervention. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Uh, Yeah, it was, uh, well, it was lovely to see you. You're uh, always welcome. Oh, thank you very much. It was lovely to see all it's, the it's people It's for me over to there. decide. Yeah. <laughs> I let people into London or not. Well, I appreciate the fact that uh, you did. And I did meet lots of people over the weekend. So uh, hello to everybody that I met. It's always incredible to, to just sort of catch up with people who listen to the podcast or read the website. In particular, I have to give a shout out to the guy who, as I was going into the gents, uh, stopped me and said, hey, are, are you Arsblog? And I went, yeah. And he went... Oh, wow. I'm queuing up to have a shit. <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I, I wish you well in your endeavors. Yeah. It's, it's lovely, to, uh, lovely to make your acquaintance. I guess he thought, <laughs> that's the famous podcaster ass blog. This is my one chance to say something to him that he might want to repeat on air. <laughs> what, how do I want to be remembered by the Arsenal diaspora? <laughs> I mean, fair play. This is my moment. He's made it. He's made it onto the podcast. He has made it. Maybe that's yeah. not what he wanted. You know, sometimes, you know, stuff just comes out of your mouth and you go, oh, no, why did I say that? But uh, no, it was, it was sure. quite amusing. Uh, and I left him to it. I didn't I didn't offer any help in that regard. I, no, I you didn't see was, him afterwards? No. Felt like a debrief? No, no. <laughs> Thank Video session? <laughs> a little Zoom. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's a relief. Um, and hopefully he experienced some relief as well. Right. That's... Uh, yeah, wow. Incredible, really. I don't know where to go from there, Andrew. It's difficult to pick up the pieces after that after that guy dropped that bombshell on you. Um, so that was it. Was that a half time? Yeah. Yeah. It was just before the second half kicked off. Cause, I would uh, not want to go in one of those cubicles, you know, 45 minutes into a game. People have been using it since the stadium opened. If you're going to use one of those cubicles, it's got to be like the minute the stadium opens, you know? That morning, yeah. After that. Mm. I mean... It wouldn't be my first choice, I have to say, but, you know, sometimes nature calls. I'd rather crouch by the corner flag, Andrew, than go in one of those cubicles. I'll tell you that now. All right. Well, yeah, I hope you're never in that position where, you know, you have to make (laughs) that choice. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But it was was a very good weekend. It was a a very good result for Arsenal. And, of course, um, a huge win because every game at this moment, every game at this point of the season is so crucial to what we hope we can do. And of course, Manchester City didn't play in the league anyway. They played in the FA Cup. They did win 6-0. And I think there is, even though it's irrelevant to what's happening at at Premier League level, there is still something about the team that you're fighting for the title with, hammering another team, albeit a championship side, 6-0. It is still a bit of a like, hey, look look at what we can do. Look at what, what are yeah, you going mean, to do? I mean, fa- to be fair, they won their game before that in the Champions League 7-0 as well. Um, yeah. I don't want to get too bogged down by it, but <laughs> it's, it's quite ominous form. Uh, 
But, you know, if if we win all our games, it'll be fine. Yeah, that's all we've got to do. It's all quite we need to do is win all our matches. Mm. Um, no, I know what you mean. It kind of throws down the gauntlet a little bit. Uh, and Arsenal, to be fair to them, you know, responded to that. And have, albeit having played a game more, really closed the gap in terms of goal difference by this stage. Yeah, that's true. That is true. That's why maybe those, um, you know, the the silly set piece goal perhaps uh, will merit some examination at some point, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel, you know, Ooh, right, cool. yeah, I feel like it was a bit mean of Crystal Palace to score that goal. Why? Well, there was that really funny moment just beforehand when Ben White had tackled Zaha and the ball got away from him and then he went charging back and the ball squirted yeah. back towards him and he booted it and then he took out Granit Xhaka and the pair of them picked themselves up and, and had a... Um, and you know, they had a chuckled, bit of a, didn't they? Yeah, they had a chuckle, they had a hug. I think Ben White did a bit of come on to the crowd and it was very funny because you know, we were sitting in the crowd laughing our heads off at that and then they scored and I don't you know I don't think that's right you know I know they're desperate you know for what? goals but you know there's a time and a place and that was not the time or the place I did enjoy Ben White steaming into Zaha in that fashion and, mm. and clearing the ball out and all the fist pumping and camaraderie I did enjoy that but I I mean, and listen, I probably think this every time the opposition gets a corner, but I thought they're going to score now. It was just one of those moments where I was like, this is fun, but it does slightly uh, potentially foreshadow a loss in concentration mm. um, or indicate one, which is kind of understandable, a 3-0 up. And ultimately it was a goal that, you know, we hope won't cost us anything. But yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's, it is annoying whenever the opposition teams score. I think we can all agree on that. I, I think we can. I think we can. People do seem to get a bit upset about it, and I understand why, but I think they spoiled the moment there yesterday. Jeffrey Schlupp, if that is your real yeah. name. Who's laughing now, said Jeffrey Schlupp. Yeah. And the, the answer was, Arsenal fans, we continued to laugh as we won 4-1. Well, um, yeah, we did. I think there was perhaps a moment or two of um slight nerves or like it didn't it For did sure. make everything a little bit quiet didn't it that 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 goal because everybody was like oh two nil that's good get one more and we can all just kind of relax and then we got the one more and maybe we all relaxed a bit too much but when you are three what it just sort of reminds you that there is potentially you know bad stuff out there in in the premier league um but look, like we said, it didn't really make a huge difference to anything. We did run out 4-1 winner. So let's go back to the start. And in the context of this week, we've gone out to sporting, having played 120 minutes and, and uh, gone out on penalties. And yeah. Mikel Arteta made some pretty obvious changes to his side. Um, Thomas Partey back in, Bakayo Saka back in, Leandro Trossard back in, Martin Odegaard back in. and having lost a couple of defenders on um, on Thursday night, Tommy Asu and Saliba, it meant a first Premier League start for um, our lion-maned yeoman of central defence, Rob Holding. And uh, there was quite a bit of, I don't know if you would call it anxiety or... Um, worry because this is the first time that, that Gabriel and Saliba have not started together in the Premier League. But it's kind of amazing in itself. Yeah. Right? 
It, it is. 27 games. They played every single one. Um, but yes, there was a lot of uh, holding angst out there on mm. the interwebs. There was. I mean, there was a question. Let Did me you just... share in it? Look, I think when you break up a first team partnership of the likes that uh, Saliba and Gabrielle have developed over this season, you you do worry a little bit because it is first choice for a reason and it's really, really good. And there is also a reason why, you know, Rob Holding is starting his first Premier League game of the season. I mean, there was a question here from Tater Murray, and I think this is quite an interesting one. Uh, he said a lot of the lineup discourse pre-match was slagging off Rob Holding. I didn't see any of that because I was um, having a beer beforehand and not uh, not on Twitter. He said, do you believe his disaster class against Tottenham last year looms large in the memory of the supporters? And I think quite possibly it does because that might have been one of the last games he played last season because he did get sent off as well, didn't he? And it was an important game and you were looking for him to... Uh, you're looking for him to step up and, you know, that was not his finest moment in an Arsenal shirt by any way. But do you think that that, that has maybe scarred his reputation a little bit? Because when it comes right down to it, he is probably the fourth choice centre half at Arsenal. You know, ordinarily, if, if Saliba had been injured, I suspect Ben White would have gone to centre half. Tommy Asu would have gone to right, uh, uh, to right back. But of course, Tommy Asu is injured as well. I mean, there is a level of player when you're fourth choice centre back that it becomes very difficult to get anyone of the kind of calibre some people expect us to have right the way through the squad. Some some players are fourth choice players for a good reason, which isn't to downplay their ability. It is just where they are in the squad. And I think as a fourth choice centre half... I think Rob Holding is 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 very good. Yeah, I, I think uh, I understand some of those concerns about Holding, and maybe maybe a lot of those are born of the North London derby last mm. season, where he had a a really bad night. Um, but I think he, in some ways, is quite solid. I think you know he's a experienced pro, mm-hmm. um, and he is capable of slotting in for a game like this. You know, I, I can understand if we were playing Man City or sure. Liverpool or Spurs again, potentially, um, people might have misgivings. But home to Crystal Palace, I really didn't have any misgivings about Rob Holding playing. And I, I didn't kind of torture myself trying to think of a way to pick an 11 without him in. I also think it's really interesting the way that these... Mm, moments for squad players are perceived kind of within the club as opposed to outside the club. You know, we as fans generalising may look at it and Mm. have great anxiety about that. But at the moment at Arsenal, when it's just kind of one or two key starters missing, I think that those moments are almost celebrated as an opportunity for players who've spent a lot of time on the sidelines, on the fringes of things, to have their moment Mm. and I think there's real positivity and optimism around people getting their chance to contribute to the season yeah and obviously that's only any good if you then follow up with the performance and the result but I do think it's sort of an interesting uh difference between the way we see things as fans and the way 
players experience it. And in, in the week before, the few days before, should we say rather, between Thursday and Sunday, when it sort of became clear Holding was likely to play, I didn't sense any uh, trepidation or fear about that from the players who work with him day in, day out. If anything, they were happy for him to get his chance to make his mark on the season. And I think he was too. And you could see that in his performance. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at it in the context of this season, the, you know, we talked a lot, didn't we, about how there are going to be moments where you get injuries or you get suspensions and you are going to need players who fulfill the role that Rob Holding does in this squad to come in and um, and do a job. And that's exactly what he did. I think he had a really good performance. He was strong. He won his duels. Mikel Arteta will like that, of course. And I just had a I just had a quick look. It 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 um it it was the Everton game at the end of last season. That was his last start in the Premier League. In that right. sort of dead rubber, if you like. I know there was the opportunity that if things had gone differently in, in one of the other games, but you know, we, we could only go out and do what we needed to do. We won five one that day. Um when you're a pro and when you're a football player and you have spent basically most of the season on the bench you you still have to be ready and professional and prepared and organized and up to speed to come in at short notice which I guess this kind of was you know after Thursday I figure he must have had an idea he was going to start but like if everyone's fit he's not starting this game so I think we do sometimes I don't know if you downplay what it takes for a player to come into a team in that context and perform to the level that he did against a Palace side who, look, I know they're they're in the doldrums a little bit, but they're still uh, they still have some dangerous players, and I think he acquitted himself very well. Yeah, and I didn't get the sense at any point that you know it wasn't like Ramsdale wasn't giving him the ball or, you know, Gabriel wasn't passing to him under no, pressure. No. There was no sense of them trying to not use holding or not trust him in those scenarios. I think there was enormous trust there. And I think he's earned that with his, you know, that his commitment and his application He's a very valued part of the group. And if we are to have a successful season, well, we've already had a successful season, but if it's to have a glorious ending that we hope for, mm. um, then I think, you know, we will reflect on moments like Rob Holding stepping into the breach or Jorginho coming in for Thomas Partey and scoring that goal against Aston Villa, mm. Reese Nelson. Sure. This is why you have squad players. It's why you need them. And don't get me wrong, I desperately hope William Sleeber's back as soon as possible because he's been extraordinary this season and a huge part of our progress. But of course, on this day against Crystal Palace, uh, I think Rob Holding was more than good enough. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Let's just talk very briefly about the, um, the I suppose, the chance that Palace had early on. The, the first goal in games, I think they I was watching match of the day in the airport today, and they said that Arsenal have taken the lead in 19 games this mm -hmm. season, which is kind of incredible. But there was an early chance for Zaha. Uh, Ramsdale made a good save. It, it, it hit off him and then went behind. And, you know, I did have a little bit of a laugh considering what happened uh, at Villa Park over that one. But, <laughs> but you know, I think... Well, all I'm saying is Emmy Martinez would have buried that chance. You know. <laughs> He's got all the practice. Um, we did, I think, though 
start to look well we were by far the better team um it took a while for the goal to arrive there were some moments but the play down the right hand side and and we talked about Ben White a second ago and um you know that that moment which you know some people will enjoy some people won't enjoy I very much enjoyed it but to his credit I think throughout the the day his movement his passing his use of the ball was absolutely outstanding really 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 impressive and I know he's got this relationship with Bukayo Saka but it was sort of on a on a different level almost yesterday yeah and and that's another point about playing holding is that it enabled white to play at white at right back sorry where he's mm. been for most of the season and he was outstanding in that position and I think it's it is him and Saka but I think it's Odegaard as well uh, occasionally Thomas Partey, you know, wandering over to that side and joining in. But that trio in particular, Odegaard, Saka, White, the speed at which they move the ball, their intuition, their understanding of each other's movement, mm. it was far, far too good for Palace. And Tyrant Mitchell had a, is a decent defender and had a really difficult day uh, up against that lot. So, yeah, they were brilliant. And I think if we were going to find the breakthrough, it always felt like it might come from something down that flank. Yeah, I mean, he gave Zaha a hard time too. Well, the two of them gave Zaha a hard time too. You know, the interception, was it for the first goal where he intercepts um, Ben White, yeah, makes the interception made, yeah. on Zaha, who just kind of stands around looking. Um, Saka gets the cross in with his right foot to Martinelli. No penalty hangover for Gabriel Martinelli. That is an unbelievably good finish, isn't it? It's great, yeah. I mean, it's a brilliant take. And one of the things that I was uh, impressed about with the goal, you know, we've made this point many times, but they're both of their weak feet. You know, Saka going down the outside, right-footed cross. Martinelli takes it onto his left, his weak foot, and buries it in the far corner. And one of the joys of this team is we get to watch players improve and develop before our very eyes. And I think that is an aspect of both players we've really seen kick on, that ability to go both ways. Um, and it's, you know, not the first time this season Martinelli shifted onto the outside and, and buried it with his left. Yeah, we we, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, the, the goals that he scored with his left foot, yeah. and the goal that was disallowed at Old Trafford with his left foot, the goal that Saka scored a couple of weeks ago where he just sort of <laughs> puts it in the roof of the net with his right foot. You know, that versatility is what gives defenders nightmares because mm. you know think about okay uh, this might sound like i'm being critical of nicolas pepe which isn't the case but if you're a defender and you're faced with nicolas pepe 99.9 percent .9 of the time you can probably guess where he is going to go what way he's going to move where the ball is going to go sure with saka you can't. You can't. He could go one way, shift to go one way, go the other. You think he's going to go on his left foot, he'll come back in on his right. It's nightmare stuff for defenders. And it's um, it's to their credit. I would love to know to what extent that is natural for them because I think there is an element of, of uh, you know, if you're good with both feet, you can practice, you can train, but I think some players are just naturally better at it than others, right? But how much of this development of these two in particular, which we've seen this season in not only their goal scoring, but their creativity, how much of that is worked on on the training ground as well? 
Yeah, I I can't speak for Martinelli, but I know from having chatted to people who work with Saka in the academy, the strength of his right foot now is something that has really changed and developed. And I wouldn't say caught them by surprise because they know how driven he is now, how hard he mm. works, but it's clearly something that he has added to the collection of tools he'd had naturally. Um, and I think that's huge credit to him and mm. makes him, as you were saying, a much better player. I mean, actually the build up to this goal, it's actually two right foot touches. So Ben White wins it back and passes the ball in Saka and to any other player, that's sort of a simple pass into feet and with Saka's got his back to goal and he's got to go outside. Mm. He kind of turns, spins on it and controls it with the inside of his right foot, then takes it on his right foot again and crosses it with his right. So forgive me, it's three touches off his wrong foot to create that goal for Martinelli. Mm. It's really fantastic play. If, it, if a right-footed play did it, you wouldn't blink, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, brilliant finish from Martinelli. And I think it's really instructive about his character that uh, having played so many minutes on Thursday night, straight back in from the start mm. against Palace, I just think his character, yes, but also his physicality. I mean, the, the sprints that he's able to produce late in games, despite playing so much football this season, he's quite an extraordinary athlete, I think, Gabriel Martinelli. Saka as well, but they both are, the pair. Mm, brilliant. And, you know, you just need to look at their numbers this season to realise how incredible their contributions have been. You know, both of them 21 years of age and what they're putting up week after week after week is is unbelievable. It really is. Um yeah. Saka got the second. Again, a really good pass from Ben White. There were a couple of other moments, weren't there? There was an Odegaard shot that went wide, and I think the keeper was the save from Odegaard before we opened the scoring. I can't quite remember. Um, the games are a bit more blurry when you're there, unless you um, make a load of notes, which uh, I didn't do. But the second goal just before half time. I mean, it's a lovely pass from Ben White, but again, it's the movement, the sharpness of movement from Bakayo Saka. Having played it back to Ben White, he doesn't stand still. And all it takes is half a second for a defender to just switch off. And all of a sudden, it's a good pass from Ben White and Bakayo Saka's in to, to score a goal. And like, I think we'd spoken a little bit about how in recent weeks, Saka maybe, you know, on the... Um, in comparison to to what he's done most of this season, maybe wasn't quite at his best, but I think this was an absolutely a return to to his best form. And I think what's interesting about it is he did get taken out of the side for the sporting game, but but Mikel Arteta has such trust in him to play his way back into form, which when you consider how young he is, the sample size isn't that great. It tells you a lot about, you know, what they think of, of Saka's ability and his ability to to influence games at this level at such an age. Yeah, I think he's at the point where if he doesn't score a goal or create a goal in a game, we think, oh, he's, he's not had a great night then, mm. you know, because he, he's just become that good and that productive. Um, and there have been a few games like that of late, albeit in some, some pretty decent team performances at various stages. But mm. this was a a good game for him. Two goals, an assist. His numbers are right up there. You know, I think uh, first Arsenal player to reach double figures for both goals and assists since Alexis Sanchez. Wow. Um, and he's, yeah, he's in pretty good company too. 
uh, in that list, I, I seem to recall it's a pretty storied collection of players who've done that for Arsenal over the years. Um, and I saw people after this match talking about him as a potential footballer of the year, which given his age and given some of what he's up against, you know, it's fantastic. I mean, he's got to be in the conversation, doesn't he? He has yeah, to be. Absolutely. And I, I think, look, what, what Holland is doing at Manchester City is extraordinary. There's no getting around that. But I think there is more to Saka as a footballer than there is to Holland. And I'm not trying to take away from him by any means. He's just an incredible player and a, a brilliant goal scorer. But for Saka, it's not just about goal scoring. He's creative as well. He he influences this team in such a such a positive way. Um He's a flesh and blood human, not a cyborg as well. Well, so that's I think true. Yeah, yeah, good point. He's got that going for him. I, yeah, I agree. I think <laughs> Saka and Martinelli are absolutely extraordinary. We're so lucky to have them both. They've saved the club, you know, possibly hundreds of millions in terms of what they can potentially bring over the next five to ten years. And, you know, I was struck by the stat. Yesterday, we've had so much talk about Marcus Rashford. Could he be Football of the Year? He's got 14 league goals. Gabriel Martinelli's got 13 now. Mm. He's only a goal behind Rashford. Um, and yet, I don't think he's received anything like the kind of plaudits, maybe because he's not an Englishman. Saka, I just think, is going to another stratosphere. And it's funny, it's things... You know, we've produced good players at Arsenal before. But I think Saka is on course to surpass them all and not just in terms of what he does on the pitch. I think, I think we are watching a kind of global superstar emerge here. It, it, it's, I know people will have very little time for it, but even mm. something as seemingly uh, irrelevant as him, uh, you know, being shouted out by the Kardashians or whatever it was, you know, he, he appeared on Kim Kardashian's newsfeed. It's like he is at the stage now where he is beginning to transcend sport and take on this kind of iconic status in mm. pop culture. I even think the little celebration by the corner flag is becoming like a visual trademark of Bukayo Saka. I just think he is, we've always known he's had talent but he's now delivering so regularly and we are yeah, so regularly and we're seeing him become a star. Mm. It's kind of our, our little uh, academy boys all grown up. It's wonderful. And, you know, when you think about who the players are that could make the difference between now and the end of the season, you know, he's pretty much top of the list, isn't he? Um, yeah. And listen, individual accolades are one thing, but he appeared on Match of the Day 2 last night and did an interview with the presenters yeah. and was very quick to say, look, you know what I want at the end of the season. Um, and, you know, the inference was... It's not the individual prize. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, so let's talk about the third goal, which I thought was really lovely. I think this third goal, to me, epitomizes the football that we're playing this season under Mikel Arteta, where the opposition are trying to win the ball back. They can't. We pass it around and move it with such confidence and such quality and precision that they just can't get anywhere near the ball 
And then somebody does something, and, well, two people do something. Shaka makes a run forward. Zinchenko spots it and plays a really incisive pass. From there, Shaka plays it to Trossard. Trossard back to Shaka. The finish is unconventional, I guess you would say. But as a piece of football that you might pick out as a, like, look at what this team are. Look at what they're doing. Look at how they're doing it. I think it's just perfect. You know, it's sort of bang, 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 bang. And now you're sliced open from fucking throat to belly and we have just scored. Yeah, it's exactly like that. You know, they're sort of knocking it around. Seemingly, everyone's pretty comfortable. And it's Mm. almost like Palace are just static for a split second. And in that time, Zinchenko is able to see Shaka's movement and pick it out. And from then on, they're in big trouble. Um and it's really nicely worked. Another assist for Trossard. Leo Trossard, who has been a, an excellent addition. Um, and another goal for Shaka, two in two, which I think is a really positive thing. You know, it, it dried up a little bit for him. And pff, how many times have we talked about goals from midfield? But I just think, you know, we're going to need that in our in our arsenal between now and the end of the season. So, uh Good to see him back amongst the goals. Even if I agree with you, I'm not quite sure. I mean, the finish looks absolutely beautiful, first glance, but yeah. I don't really know quite what happened there. I, yeah, we were talking about it in the pub afterwards, weren't we, where maybe the guy kicked Jacques' sort of leg. and I think from under him. Yeah, and Jacques... I spent a long time thinking, was it an own goal? Yeah, um, same, same. But it wasn't given as an own goal, so I think he does no, just get his foot in there. Um, I mean, Trossard... What can you say about the the influence that he's had? You know, because Shaka is scoring, Martinelli is scoring. There was, you know, that little spell when maybe people were worried about Martinelli not quite um, contributing as much from a goal-scoring point of view and the, all the conversations about, like, does he miss Gabriel Jesus? Maybe so. Maybe he just misses a, a player a bit more like Gabriel Jesus because I think you could draw... Uh, a shorter line between Trossard and Jesus than you would between Enkedia and Jesus, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, as it certainly as it transpires, as it turns out, it looks that way on the pitch. Um, yeah, and Trossard's just fitted in so yeah. seamlessly. It's a really intelligent player. Has meant we haven't had to rush Gabriel Jesus too much, which is has a value all in itself. Sure, uh, and yeah, really nice pass from him. And three 0 That was kind of the time where you could relax, you know, it mm. felt like we were home and dry until that set piece goal. And you're right to say there's a few nerves. Zaha had another one, didn't he, where he flashed it across the goal not too long <sighs> after that. I was sitting um, like pretty much in line with that. And there was a clenching, I have to tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it, we make trouble for ourselves. I think mm. it's a Ramsdale kick that doesn't find anybody. And, you know, they come back and, you know, if that goes in, I think the whole stadium takes on a very different Yes, tone. it would do. Uh, it would do. Because then you're like, oh, uh, you're... Yeah, we all know what we would have been in that situation. And um, it's not that I wouldn't back the players to respond and score again because, um, you know, they've done that more than once this season. You just don't want to be in that position. You don't want to put yourself in a position at this point in the season where one mistake makes the next mistake absolutely... Um, hugely damaging I should say yeah but I think you know the set piece thing is a, a little bit of a worry uh, mm. 
I think by continuing to concede from them, you kind of alert opposition to it as a weakness. It sort of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in that respect. Yeah. You know? And there's a couple of weeks now for the coaching staff to look back and try and figure out, you know, what can we do better? Arteta made the point, you know, we've been playing a lot of games and there's quite limited time on which to work on these things. There's going to be relatively limited time with a lot of these players who are going away on international duty. Yeah. But a couple of tweaks uh, might make all the difference because eventually one of those is going to cost us. Yeah, yeah. Um, you probably do want to cut that out um, uh, sooner rather than uh, rather than later. Uh, we did get a fourth goal, though. Really, really good finish from Bakayo Saka. Good ball from Kieran Tierney, who come on for Zinchenko. Um I could hear people say, yeah. what, what's Tierney doing there? What's he doing in there? Who does he think he is? Zinchenko? <laughs> Someone behind me say that. It's like he's obviously been brought on to play in the same way as Zinchenko. Um, but nice I friend. A good to get... cameo, Kieran yeah, Tierney. I thought, I thought it was fine. Yeah. And, you know, if Tommy Asu was fit, would he have got on? I don't know. You know, recently Tommy Asu's been getting a lot of those minutes at left back. Um, mm. So... I I was pleased for him. Again, I think there is a value in having those players who haven't been part of the first eleven feel engaged, part of the group, like they have a role to play. And yeah. it was a nice tee up and a, a good finish from Saka. Yeah, a really, really good finish. His second goal, so um that pretty much sealed the game and it felt to me, I don't know what you thought, but it felt to me like the rest of the game, they were just trying to get a goal for Gabriel Jesus who come on as a sub yeah. as well. And, and, you know, we know how long it's been since he hasn't scored. Um, there was a moment late on, I think where Odegaard could have played it outside to Saka, but he looked for the, the sort of reverse pass to Gabriel Jesus because they just want to get him back on the score sheet because, you know, that could be valuable. Maybe the longer it goes on, the more it becomes a thing in, in his mind. I know he's only just back and everything else, but I think the sooner he can get a goal under his belt, the better. Yeah, it was really interesting seeing him at Fulham, you know, the first week uh, that he came back and played. And I think he was delighted to be back on the pitch. But even as he left the field then, he had his shirt up over his head. He was gutted about that chance. Yeah. I think he's probably much hungrier for that goal than he'd like to let on. Because um, it has been a while. It was a while before the injury that he went without scoring. So mm. that was maybe the one thing. That and the clean sheet were the missing pieces to make this an absolutely perfect day. But it was a very good day nonetheless. And, you know, the position of comfort enabled Arteta to make changes he wouldn't necessarily normally make. We saw, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Gabrielle come off as a sub, which I don't think has happened this season. No. Um, Thomas Partey went into right back, didn't he, with Jorginho? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, a, that's a pub quiz question, isn't it? What, you know, what's the craziest back four that Arsenal, you know, fielded in the season is Tierney, Kivior... Uh, holding and Partey finishing off a game is not the kind of back four that anyone I think would have picked out of a lineup if you could, if you could have asked <laughs> no. them. No, I, I, I mean I had clean forgotten that Partey had even played right back at any point in his career, but he has played it a fair bit for Atletico Madrid. I think he played there once against us actually. Mm. Um, I'll be honest. I don't want to see him making those 50-yard sprints down the touchline. There was one where he was chasing back 
mm. into the fullback position. And I thought, oh, I was literally, my eyes were trained on his hamstrings as he was doing it. <laughs> uh, I was just like, please survive this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we got away with it. I think that is going to be interesting. Assuming Tommy Asu is quite bad, Ben White and Tommy Asu have shared a lot of games this yeah. season where, you know, one started and one's come on. Um, and that's been quite useful, quite helpful. Can Ben White take all those minutes between now and the end of the season? Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We did have um, we did have questions about that. So, I mean, will we do it now or will we do it in? Let's part let's two? deal with that when we come to it. Then, okay. I guess. Um, Does that mean in the next part or right now? Or because we've already come to it? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so confused. Let's do it in part the two. The format's broken. It's absolutely all over the place. Um, um, yeah, we'll deal with it in part two with, with questions and, and stuff like that. But Let's not dampen the mood with talk of injuries. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. I mean, look, it was a, a very good win after the defeat during, uh, during the week as well, uh, even if it was sort of on penalties or what have you. You know, you're, you're always a little bit worried there might be a bit of a hangover and – to go out and take Palace apart 4-1 is a really impressive response, I think. You know, and I know, look, going out to sporting didn't affect people and didn't affect the team, perhaps in the way that some of the other Europa League exits might have in the past, where they felt a lot more uh, damaging or hurtful or painful or whatever it might be. But, you know, there is a, an inherent pressure that comes with the games uh, at this stage, right? Where every point is so valuable. I know three points in August is the same as three points in May and blah, blah, blah. But you know what I mean? That there is a need to demonstrate um, that you can you can cope with setbacks, if you want to call the sporting thing a setback, but also to take the opportunity that we had to go eight points clear of Manchester City because they weren't in action. And this is us just putting it up to them a little bit. I think they're, uh, you know, experienced enough. They've dealt with this kind of pressure sufficiently over the years for it not to, like, make them sit in a corner trembling or anything like that. But, you know, if you didn't make the most of this opportunity, it perhaps just gives them a little bit of a psychological boost now they have to deal with the fact that we are eight points clear, although they, they have a game in hand. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a chance we needed to take, and we did. Um, revenge for Patrick Vieira, mm. of course, as oh, well. His song rang uh, out loud and proud, didn't, didn't it? I know. Time? Sorry, Fabio, it wasn't about you this week. <laughs> it was very much about uh, PV4. Four goals for him. Um you don't just have Patrick Vieira on St. Patrick's Day, Andrew. It's not right. And then replace just him with Paddy. Right. You don't. You can't. I know, that. right? <laughs> the cruelest twist. Um, but yeah, I think eight points clear is fantastic. Mr. Lucy, you've got that game in hand. But I just think psychologically, what a lift hmm. going into the international break and going into the home straight. Really, yeah. The final ten games, uh, final ten games, rather. And Arsenal now are on 69 points after 28 games. That's the points tally they finished last season with. And they narrowly missed out on the top four. Mm. They've already arrived at that with 10 games to go. That underlines how dramatic the improvement has been. And, you know, 
think of the Invincibles. How many league games did they win? Was it 26? Yeah, 26 um, and 12, yeah. We're on 22 already. And I, I do think that because there has been this kind of um, discourse of Man City aren't quite what they were, you know, because United and Spurs and particularly Liverpool and Chelsea have had difficult seasons at times. Mm. I do think it's not been recognised sufficiently quite how extraordinary Arsenal's points total is at this present moment in time. 69 points, 22 wins from 28 in any season against any opposition. Mm. That is absolutely outstanding. And uh, yeah, huge credit to the team for for getting to this point. I desperately hope they can see it through from here, but it's been a remarkable effort so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a way to go, but you know what, what a journey it's been to get to this point and a hugely enjoyable one. And I think that was evident, you know, in the, in the crowd yesterday, before the game, during the game, after the game, that there is a sense of we are enjoying this because it is good and that's the way it should be. Um, so, yeah, all in all, a very good weekend from an Arsenal perspective. Um, yeah, and listen, Man City got the win this weekend, but it means they stay in the FA Cup. That may be no bad thing. I think that's one of the factors that we have to consider in this run-in. The fact that we're now focused on one competition and they're fighting on mm. three fronts. I mean, they may well have quite an extraordinary season themselves, but I hope not. No, I hope not too. Uh, okay, look, I think we'll take a little break here and we've got questions about uh, Arsenal stuff and other stuff that we obviously have to talk about. So we'll take a little break right here. We'll come back and do those in part two right after this. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. James, there were many laughs this weekend. Many. From uh, good company, good football, good goals, enjoying our place at the top of the table. But was there anything quite as hilarious as Antonio Conte's press conference. No, that was genuinely hysterical. It was like he sort of just realised that he's the Spurs manager and had to go and sort of exercise that demon uh, in front of the media. Mm. It was absolutely extraordinary. It's sort of been coming, but... I loved every second of it. And what I think is most fantastic about this is that Spurs are managing to be in complete crisis despite being in the top four. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's a it's good like, point. You know, I keep thinking like the, the way that the manager is behaving and the fans feel, you'd think they're in the relegation zone. And I wish they were, but they're not. But the fact that they're still managing to be so miserable, I've got to take my hat off to them. It's an extraordinary effort. The players? Um, yes, it is. And I <laughs> I love this bit, actually. I'm just going to have to do where he just sort of has this realisation. And the players? The players? Where are the players? Where are the players? Where are the players? <laughs> His voice the players? very high. It does. I mean... It is an incredible thing to watch because he goes all in on the players. He goes all in on the club. He goes all in on the owner, basically saying, yeah, look at the managers you've had here and you still haven't won fucking anything. Like, look at Mourinho, all that. I mean, that was just, you know, so why? Why? Is it the players? It's just, it's just so, so funny. And look, I don't want to say I told you so or anything like that. But I did write a blog in which I I basically said, the title of this blog was, No Man is Powerful Enough to Thwart Nature. When Antonio Conte was appointed Tottenham manager. I'll put a link to it in the, um, in the show notes so people can click through and, and have a read. I don't think I've ever in my life written anything that has been uh, as right as that is. That the That's ver- great. What a nice feeling. It's amazing. Like, you know, we all have our What's opinions like? on football. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny, isn't it? It is absolutely funny because, like, 18 months ago, 
they, they're all their entire fan bases. At last, we've got the winningest manager there ever is in Antonio Conte. Look at Arsenal. They're, you know, Arteta this, Arteta that. But we have Conte, proven winner. And within like 18 months, it's like scorched earth. He assaulted the earth between him and all the fans. They want rid of him. And like you say, they're in fourth. <laughs> I know. It's incredible. It, honestly. It's it incredible. Absolutely I, I, incredible. I think it's played out. I mean, to be fair, you know, it was always a short-term move and they got a short-term reward, didn't they? They picked us to mm. fourth. Um, but it just hasn't panned out. And there seems to be a real disconnect between you know, the owner, the technical director, the manager. I don't know what Spurs are trying to be at this present point in time, mm. um, but they are being Spurs. And boy, are we grateful for that. We 20 are. points clear of Tottenham, by the way, as of Saturday. <sighs> Sunday, brother. Well, I just want to say thank you to... Um, the players? Thank you to all of them for uh, their continued service in making the football world right and the way it should be. Um, just where it's going to go from here, we'll have to wait and see. I'm, I'm very surprised he still has a job. Uh, as of Monday evening, he still does. So who knows? Yeah. Maybe things will change by the end. I feel end like they're keeping him out of spite at this point. Yeah. You don't want to be here. Yeah. Fuck you. Do the job. Exactly. You yeah. don't get your payoff. Sorry, mate. <laughs> right. Let's do some questions. And look, I'm going to ask this one because we did touch on it in the first half and we might as well just start this a particular round of questions with this one. A couple of questions, for example, from the Discord. NYGooner14 says, who do you see as emergency right-back options, given that Tommy Asu is allegedly done for, for the year, mm. for the season? And Gotham7, oh, Gotham and New York. Gotham7, New York14, there's something weird about that. I don't know what it is, though. Um, anyway, he says, uh, Gotham 7 says, if Tommy Asu's injury is season ending, who's going to provide cover for Ben White? Seeing Partey at right back gave me heart palpitations, which it obviously did to you as well. But do you think there might be some method in the madness there? Is, is that what we might have to do? Well, who it's is It's an there? option. I mean, we've, the thing is, do you remember when we had all the right backs? Yeah. We had uh, Hector Bellerin and Ainsley Maitland Niles and Cedric. And Cedric. Those guys, remember? Yeah. Um, well, Bellerin's gone and the other two are out on loan. I did see some questions uh, about, like, can we bring Cedric back? I don't think we can. Not outside of a window. Mm. No, I don't think so. Um,. So it does put us in a bit of a tricky position. I think one thing, the first way to think about it is what does this system require of the right back? Mm. You know, I think uh, we don't necessarily need a guy who's got electric pace and is going to get to the byline and swing crosses in, right? Mm. We Like someone who can play either in a back three or more often in a sort of midfield three, really, as sort of a deep playmaker. So Partey is an option. The only issue with that, well, not the only issue, but the biggest issue with that is you're taking him out of the, the centre of midfield. Yeah. Where he's so important. Um, but I think, you know, when you're trying to think of like analogous players, 
you know, someone like Maitland Niles would be quite useful, or a, a kind of well, holding midfield, a kind of holding midfield player could sort of sit in there. But I'm just not convinced, Jorginho. Oh no, that's no quite has that. No, <laughs> no, no. You do not want to play Jorginho at, at right back under any no. circumstances. Like I don't want to play Thomas Partey at right back, but if it's a straight choice between the two in an important game, I think you're better with Jorginho in midfield and Partey at right back. But of course, that's not ideal. There was a young player on the bench, Rule Walters was on the bench. Yeah. So Very highly thought of. Potentially, that might be something you have to lean into, you know, because there is no ideal solution. Um, I mean, look, hopefully the entire thing is moot and Saliba comes back and Ben White stays fit and, and everything else. Uh, and we're not having to make a decision like this. But I do wonder, you know, when you get to this point of a season, how difficult is it to throw in a young guy as determined as he might be um, in in that kind of a pressure difficult. cooker? I think it could be. I think it could be. I think the the easier thing to do is make the – what's the word – the unpopular choice of doing something like we saw before with Granite Xhaka left back, which again would not have been my ideal solution, but um, we saw that that's what Mikel Arteta defaulted to. Whether that's something he's learned from and will do differently this time around if he needs to, I don't know. But Rule Walters is only he's only eighteen years of age. He only went eighteen, turned eighteen in December. It would be a big ask, wouldn't it? I mean, I know Palace had yeah. their their young guy in goal and everything else, but they literally had no other option. Literally no other option. I think uh, they requested permission to sign someone as well. So, you know, they really didn't want to take that option. Mm. I think if it was a young attacking player, you might think, yeah, chuck him in. But I just think defensively, the stakes are so high. Any mistake yeah. could really live with that player. I, I almost think it's unfair put that on them there are players in the squad who've played right back uh rob holding played right back for bolton when he first broke into the team mm -hmm. um william saliba has sort of played as a right back a little bit at saint etienne uh kieran tierney i think has done it um Hmm. I think he did it maybe for Scotland. I did see people asking about Robertson. the left backs. I saw people asking, you know, could you repurpose one of Zinchenko or or Tierney yeah, to play I, there? I had a question here from someone about that, about Zinchenko. Maybe I can't find it. Hang on. No, it's here. Um, Jake Lahut says, a non-Rob Holding question. Is there anything stopping Zinchenko from playing right back if needs be? And could this injury situation be Kieran Tierney's best chance of getting a run in the team? I thought that he did well on Sunday, going from the inverted role to the wing in attack. I mean, that mm. would be an option. I, I suppose it's just that kind of butterfly effect of, well, then you're taking Zinchenko out of the left side of the team. And how much is that disrupting? Mm. You know, I, I do think Arteta generally... We've seen he tries to change as little as possible. Yeah. So if 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 something means moving three players, he'd rather just swap one than three. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the the you know just as we're teasing this out, it becomes clear that there is no ideal solution if we get to the point where you know Saliba's out 
and Ben White has to play at centre half or yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's hard. Like I, I, in the past, we've had midfield players who you'd think, oh, like I, I feel like you quite often see a central midfield player slot in at right back and do a job. But when I look at the profile of our central midfield players, the only one who I think could really do that is Partey and you don't want to move him. Mm. So it's not straightforward. I mean, I was listening to the Arsenal Vision um, podcast and uh, I can't remember who now, but somebody posited Reese Nelson, maybe. I don't know. I mean, he has... He played wing back, hasn't wing he? Wing back. He has played wing back. I just don't... I mean, there again, you're you're changing a lot because you're having to play with three at the back. And I don't think at this point of the season, unless it is absolutely necessary, you you undergo a formation change. Because yeah. so much of what we do and how we do it is um, prescribed, if you like. It's these uh, patterns of play that have been so effective that you really don't want to... You really don't want to change that. Um, I mean, I will say, I saw when the England squad was announced, some Arsenal fans saying, how the hell is Ben White not in there? I'm absolutely overjoyed he's not in there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, Ben, if you wanted to go, which I somehow doubt. But yeah. I think, you know, it's good thing for Arsenal and he needs to be wrapped in cotton wool. And to be honest, what we probably will see is that if we're in comfortable positions in games... We will just make do with 20 minutes of Thomas Partey or 20 minutes of, I don't know, Rob Holding or mm. whoever it might be at right back just to keep Ben White as safe as possible. He is um, an incredibly important squad member at this particular point in time while we wait for more news on Tomiyasu and Saliba. Yeah, we had, we had some questions about the interlull and Thomas Partey is a player who is going away in this international break. Um, GM underscore AFC says, uh, what rituals will you be performing to ensure all our golden boys on international duty come back unscathed? Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Uh, but... Uh, I have to lose a few more teeth, I guess. Uh, yeah. Chicago G19 says, uh, do you believe the, the international break will ultimately ultimately be a good thing giving players some players anyway a well-needed break and Saliba extra time to heal or will it be a bad thing and ruin the team's momentum because we're on a you know a very good run in Premier League terms six wins in a row and yeah. you might say well that's not the right time or a an ideal time to take a break I think this international break is an absolute nightmare for players for coaches I think a lot of people in football feel a slight sense of grievance about this interruption to the domestic calendar at such a critical point. Mm. And I fully <laughs> agree with them. <laughs> like it's so uh, unwelcome that you've got to go away and uh, completely change your mode of thinking, mode of training, risk injury, when you have so much on the line mm. domestically. Um, and I think Arteta would have desperately liked to carry on and keep the momentum going. As for whether it's a good or a bad thing, it may be a good thing in terms of the William Saliba injury situation. I honestly don't know 
you know, Arteta was saying yesterday, he doesn't mm. know, but I don't know if we can ever really believe him. Um, I honestly don't know how bad that is, but if it buys him some time before some huge games in April to get fit, then that may be a good thing. But that's on the condition that we don't pick up any other injuries in this period. Right? Right. I mean... Yeah. I Yeah, I, I think... Imagine how gutting that would be. Of, of all the interlocks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the the thing time. is, these are qualifying games as well. These aren't friendlies; they're qualifying yeah. games. And I think you know we've had experience in the past of international managers playing players who ordinarily maybe might not be best advised to play, but because they have a job to do, they've got results to get to keep their own jobs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They make decisions. And I think it's difficult sometimes for players to say, you know what, maybe I shouldn't, uh, maybe I shouldn't be playing in this game. Um, it is, it's harder for them. So, you know, I think we're all going to be on tenterhooks all the way through until these games are over. Uh, you know, you don't want to see like 17 minutes into whatever Ghana's game against whoever Thomas Partey's gone down. You know, like just this the pit of your stomach would fall out, wouldn't it? You know, stuff like that, because these guys are, are so important. So all we can do is just sit and hope and keep fingers crossed that they come back unscathed. Um, but I know it's scary stuff. Though. It is scary. It is scary. Yeah. It kind of feels uh, wrong that you could lose a player while they're not competing for your team mm. and it could cost you the title. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't sit quite right. But I know it's always been that way. Uh, maybe it's just because there's so much on the line for us this season. It feels particularly yeah. pointed. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought this was an interesting question. Beardy McBeard Face uh, says, are you surprised we haven't heard more from KSE during this spell of positivity? They took a lot of justified flack when we were bad. And I wouldn't have begrudged them an interview or two while we're doing well. No, I'm not particularly surprised. I think if we get over the line at the end of this season and if we win the title, if they want to be front and centre, if you like, mm. uh, and soak up some of the plaudits, then you couldn't blame them one bit for that, you know? Yeah. But until such if time... If they want to call it the Cronky Bowl, I guess that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I think it's probably a little bit premature in that sense, you know, that, yeah. that you know, if you do an interview or if Josh comes out and does an interview or Stan does an interview and says, well, look, see, see what we do, you know, and then you don't get over the line. You just open yourself up for all kinds of, of stuff. And to be fair, I don't know that they would necessarily be, they don't strike, like, for example, if... Todd Bowley, or if Chelsea won something, you could imagine Todd Bowley running around Stamford Bridge with like a super Todd costume on, you know, with a cape and uh, making it all about himself. I'm not necessarily convinced that's what KSE, that Stan and Josh would do anyway. No, famous uh, last words. Yeah. But I don't see super like, Josh. Uh, There's no super Stan. Josh. <laughs> Stan doing the dancing with the Brazilian, with all the Gabbies, while Super Josh puts his cape on and runs around the outside of the pitch. I don't foresee that. I, I think the, the answer is that simply that kind of the football and the team 
are doing all the talking for them, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Owners tend to speak in a crisis, um, but when things are going well, the nature of the Cronkies is that they are their preference. I think is to be in the background. Mm. Um, they were in the news last week as because they are now Stan and Josh are the co-chairs yeah. of Arsenal. I had a question about that. Um, do you want to do that? Yeah, let's do that. It comes from Annabelle Rackham, uh, who's at Annabelle Lemore on Twitter. And she says, we've seen this week that Tim Lewis has had a bit of a promotion and there could be more change coming at the top of the club. Um, does this mean anything for the summer recruitment and how the club is run in general? Or was this about sort of codifying um, things that were basically in place anyway? Yeah, I think it's a lot of that, to be honest, that mm. last point. Um, you know, Stan and Josh are the owners of the club. Mm -hmm. So them being the chairman makes a degree of sense. There's obviously been a bit of separation uh, since Sir Chips was chair. I still had a period without a chair. Um, and maybe, uh, th maybe that was appropriate in some ways because it's a big change from the kind of traditional board and traditional chairman to putting, you know, these guys at the helm, mm -hmm. but I don't think it really, uh, alters anything in terms of how the club has run pretty much, you know, over the last couple of years. And it's interesting. I've heard countless people in football refer to, oh, I had a meeting with Arsenal's chairman or, you know, we, we had a phone call from Arsenal's chairman. And on every occasion, mm. it's Tim Lewis that they mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there, there has been sort of an assumption from a lot of people inside and outside Arsenal that he would be named uh, chairman. As it transpires, he's executive vice chair. But I think day to day, nothing changes. You know, he is the Cronkies guy in London um, and very much trusted by them. But the, the four-man board remains. I don't think it has any mm. real impact on transfer business or, or anything like that. I think it's just a, a, a formalization of yeah. existing practices. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, and, and similarly, I wrote a piece today about um, Edu's recruitment department. So Edu got his promotion in November to be sporting director rather than technical director. Oh, yes. Which gave him a, sli a slightly broader uh remit mm -hmm. and he is going to be making some appointments to kind of flesh out his department so jason ato is going to be the assistant sporting director we're going to have a, a new head of recruitment who is james ellis who joined in 2021 from fulham and has been arsenal's sort of lead uk scout and is now taking on the head of recruitment role which is kind of a new role within right. the system so and where is um uh, where is old uh not Mickey Jason Ato No no um what's his name Richard Garlic I was Richard just... Garlic is director of football operations right. so he he retains his role as sort of the uh contracts guy mm. it's a much bigger role than that to be fair sure. and, um but you know nothing changes for him ostensibly but there are a few kind of Essentially, after Raul, after the pandemic, after the redundancies, 
Arsenal had to kind of find and develop new ways of working. Mm. And in fairness, you know, those have proven quite successful. Um, and so now I think they are just codifying or formalising some of those structural elements, keeping the people who've helped them get to where they are um, and hopefully mm. sort of carrying on the good work that has been done. I mean, you know, this 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 rebuild that Arsenal have been on, a, a huge amount is down to the coach in Arteta, but I think recruitment has been an absolutely key part of it sure. as well. And um, yeah, I think it's just sort of uh, a way of sort of formalising that structure. But it, it is interesting and... Yeah, I'm curious to see kind of what how distinct Edu's role as sporting director is from from sure. technical director. The club have called it a promotion, though. So, uh, did we get a head of sales in yet? No, no. Mm. T okay. TBD on All that. All right. One. All right. All right. Have you got a question? Um, but but that is obviously you yeah, know yeah uh, a big a big question about the summer. Well, I guess I kind of have a related question. Um, okay. I've had a lot of seen a lot of people kind of fell a little bit back in love with Kieran Tierney on Sunday. Um, <laughs> they sort of had like a, they remembered what it was that so endeared him to them. And for example, Jovino Stan on um, the Discord, uh, he's quite an isolated member of the group, the Jovino Stan. I'm not sure he's got an army of supporters behind that particular <laughs> username. But um, he says, uh, even though he's probably the surest bet we'd have for a good transfer fee, do we really want to lose Kieran Tierney when we have a whole Champions League campaign next season? Sunday reminded me why I love watching him play so much. I think he and Zinchenko can be in the same squad. I don't think it's as much about our desire as Kieran Tierney's desire. Um, I'm not saying he like is actually campaigning to um, to leave or anything like that, but I think come the end of the season, if he has a conversation about right, who's going to play in the Premier League, Zinchenko? Who's going to play in the Champions League, Zinchenko? So where does that leave him in a peripheral role that I don't think he wants? You know, he's still only 25, Kieran Tierney. I think maybe just uh, still isn't that. Uh, you know, he's still relatively yeah, well, he, young. I mean, he broke into the Celtic team very young, so it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, he's only he 25. Was. So, you know, this isn't a guy who's happy to play second fiddle at the end of his career. I think he will want to go to play regularly at some other club. And I think that will be what drives whatever happens in the summer. If you ask me, do I like Kieran Tierney as a player? Yes, I do. Would I keep him? I think he's tremendous backup for Zinchenko to have two left backs of that quality is, is fantastic. But you have to, you have to respect what a player wants to do in their career as well. Um, I mean, I do think it leaves Arsenal in a position where they have to think about what they do at left-back because I don't yeah. know that Zinchenko can play every minute of every game. I don't think that's realistic, particularly with the injury record he has. So the departure of Kieran Tierney may require you to make an addition in that area. Um, but I said this a couple of weeks ago, I still think he's got a role to play. I still think he's got a big part to play between now and the end of this season. And he showed on Sunday that he's capable of, you know, producing something in the final third with that that pass to Bakayo Saka, which I think is a, a really good pass because he looked up, saw it, and delivered it right to where Saka wanted it. The finish was brilliant. 
You know, I think it's it's one of those where I'm sort of reluctant to go into too much detail on stuff like this because, look, in the last 10 games of this season, everybody needs to be on board. Everybody has got to be pulling in the same direction. I've no doubt that that will be the case. But come the summer, you know, as a player, I think he will want to have a discussion about what his role might be. And I suspect that that role will not please him. Therefore, you've you've really only got one choice as a player and that might be to to go i agree i i, I agree with everything you said there especially the next 10 games the focus is all on the here and now yeah and not the summer and i think it's really important that tierney got off the bench had that moment you know got the whole team around him congratulate him for the assist mm. he needs to feel connected and part of it because we are going to need him between now and the end of may that's just a fact um it's a shame that it's probably unsustainable to keep Zinchenko and Tierney because there's a lovely balance between them mm. although they're very different players i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing um I think, you know, we've seen Arteta use both of them in the same game at times or use one in front of the other. Um, you know, they enable you to change things and be flexible. But I just wonder if it's one of those, a bit like having Burn Leno and Aaron Ramsdale in the same squad was lovely, but it didn't work for both yeah. of them as people. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of feel a bit the same about Tierney. Ultimately, his wish is going to be at that, especially at that age, yeah. to play more. Yeah. And can Arsenal offer him that? I don't know. Mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, but look, that is a discussion, I think, that, that can take place in the summer. Here's an interesting one. I thought this was quite interesting. Roro Safaro on the Discord said, Arsenal's coaching staff is pretty young, led by a very young manager, and they're having immense success. Are Arsenal at risk of having Arteta's staff exit for... Bigger roles, Carlos Cuesta, Nicholas Yover, Miguel Molina. Any chance we start to see the Arteta coaching tree start to form in world football soon? I have no doubt it will. I have no doubt it will. I think some of these young guys that Arteta's got working under him are ambitious, mm. as ambitious and driven as he was when he set out to become a coach. Um but I think that we are a way off from that happening. I mean, Carlos Cuesta, for example, is still, I think, in his mid-20s. Um, it would be a huge leap of faith for a, a, a club to, a top club, to mm. appoint him as a manager. And I think there's still probably a lot that this group of staff want to achieve together. Um, and a lot that can be learned from working with Arteta, but also the you know the other more experienced members of the team, mm. uh, Steve Round, Albert Stubenberg. But I do think that you know Arteta himself is a product of a kind of uh, coaching guru philosophy, right? He wanted to go and work for Guardiola because he knew he wanted to be a manager. And similarly, I think some of these young guys on his staff have sought him out because. They want to be part of that dynasty. Yeah, I think that's um, it's such an interesting uh, dynamic because, you know, when you are a young manager, you know, you might default to more experience. So of course, he did bring in Steve Rand and Albert Steibenberg and those guys have been around yeah. the block and everything else. But appointing 
young guys like this I thought was really interesting because a cynical person might say, this is a guy who's appointing young people so he can feel, I don't know, senior to them. He's got more authority than they have, et cetera, et cetera. But they're there to do really important work, right? They're not just there so Arteta can feel like a big man. They're there to play a part in in the development of these players, of the team, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's sort of quite a gamble, quite an interesting thing for a young manager to appoint these young guys who maybe don't have the CV that other coaches might have, that you're taking perhaps a little bit of a leap of faith with some of them. And it, it's been it's been quite... Uh, quite rewarded. Um, yeah, there's, there's a the hunger, haven't they? Yeah, That's there's a bravery. The hunger, yeah, the drive. Um, you know, none of these guys come in, in with big playing careers. Mm. Uh, the same is true of the goalkeeper coach in Yaki Kanya, not a big playing career at all. So they're absolutely driven and determined to make it in the world of coaching. The other thing I'd say about the age profile is the players are getting younger. Players are getting younger. Mm. And a lot of these big teams now are full of 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds. Certainly this Arsenal team is. And I do think you've got a coaching staff full of guys in their 50s and 60s. Yeah, There is a gap to bridge there. Sure. Socially, philosophically, emotionally. You, you need a staff that can relate to your players and that your players can relate to. And I think I'm sure that would have been in Arteta's thoughts, yeah. you know, when he, when he expanded his team in that way. I, yeah, I think that's a really good point because when you think about Arteta's age, you know, he's only 40 and how, look, his playing career, you know, isn't yesterday, but it's not too far away. It's why I think when he came in, he was able to identify very easily with someone like Granit Xhaka. Because of um, because of his age and the way where he played, I think he he can see perhaps elements of himself in Martin Odegaard. You know that sort of football mm-hmm. intelligence, that desire, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, having these guys as as part of your coaching crew when you are probably you know going to have to change the age profile of your your team. Yeah, I think that's. That's a really interesting aspect to it as well. You know, but first and foremost, these guys have to be good at their job. And from what we can see, uh, they're very good at their jobs as well. So it's a nice way of um, yeah. nice way of dealing I- with I'm it. Sure, I'm sure anyone who's ever, like, hired anyone, and I'm not really one of those people, <laughs> but, like, has been in that position where you've thought, well, I could go, I've got this guy, he's got the CV, he's got the experience, but I've got this one guy here who's, like, battering down my doors for a chance, mm. you know, and who will give everything for the role. And there is a, there is merit. There is real value in yeah. that, I think. No, I think you're Especially right. Especially if you've already got experience of someone like a Steve Round who's been around the block, you know. Yeah. I did a little um, bit of that in my time, hiring people, and uh, I wasn't really very good at it. I hired a guy once yeah. for a job in tech support, and uh, he turned up one day with a sword. So that wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't heard about Miguel Molina turning up at London Colney with a sword. So yeah. Arteta is doing something right. Carlos um, Cuesta and his uh, sabres 
arriving yeah. in the uh, training room. Save it for the celebration when Josh has got his cape on. Yes, then Carlos Josh. Cuesta can bring the sabres. <laughs> um, well, you mentioned Shaka. I, I mean, this is a hard question. you ready for a hard question, Andrew? Sure. It's from Fuge on the Discord. Fuge. And Fuge says, Fuge. what would you say is Mikel's most important decision thus far? There have been challenging ones, but more and more I'm coming around to it being convincing Shaka to stay at the club. We can all see the upgrade opportunity in that position, but his redemption and impact on this team is remarkable. I mean, it has to be up there for sure. It has to be up there. Like convincing him at a point where he was determined to leave. That well, he only... was out, Yeah, ex- exactly. Like he was out. Um, to stay, I mean, look, there's something, uh, how do you say it? I don't know what the word is anymore because I'm tired uh, at this point. Um, but, you know, Shaka scoring against Crystal Palace when you consider what happened uh, with yeah, him and Crystal yeah. Palace. It's poignant. Uh, yeah, there is there is definitely something to it, but I think in a way... It's been not replicated elsewhere, but look, it, it's the idea that, look, if I can do this with Granite Xhaka, what can I do for you? What can I do for somebody who's not in such a troubled position? Um, you know, what, can, what ways can he impact the players' careers in a positive way? And the turnaround that, you know, you have to give Xhaka credit as well for performing and for being dedicated and for being professional and for, you know, changing aspects of his game and, and rising to the challenge. You can't just put it all down to, to Arteta. But I think the answer maybe is in the way that some of the young players have come through and developed and that there is a trust that, okay, he took, it's not rags to riches or whatever it is, but it was a very problematic situation. He turned it around, turned it into something positive and I think if you're another player looking at that, it might make you think, right, I wanna be I wanna be on side with this guy. You know, it'd convince you that he is somebody who if he believes in you, you could go anywhere. You know what I mean? That your career could really develop in a very positive way. Um I mean, the easiest thing I think for for Arteta to do in that situation would have been to say, look, that was a a shit show of a situation. Probably the best thing for you to do is to, is to, you know, just move on and, you know, we'll, we'll sort out the exit and, and even if it's temporary, we can deal with it, you know, in the summer, but he must have some incredible powers of persuasion because I think Shaka, from what we understand of him is a very single-minded individual himself, right? Yeah, I don't imagine it would be the easiest to talk around, no. No, but maybe decision. Maybe if you, you know, if you can convince him of something, then, you know, he's open enough to to change his mind on things. Um, you are a goal-scoring midfielder, Granite. <laughs> you are the goal-scoring midfielder we're looking for. Um, yeah. um, I think that's a good shout. I mean, there are so many. It's so hard to say. I think, uh, although I'm not sure it necessarily brought you know great results on the pitch, I do think 
the decision to kind of take on take on is that the right word take on Mesut Ozil to, to to sort of draw a line under Mesut Ozil was a very significant kind of watershed moment for him especially given how it had played out for mm. the previous manager yeah uh and i think told us and told the the owners told the players about the kind of club and the kind of environment he wanted to run and it was quite traumatic and it was quite ugly and it was quite painful and i'm not sure it was always entirely fair but it was the right thing for him as a manager and for the club more broadly it was interesting um, to see George Graham on the pitch on on Sunday, and we, yeah. we've said this before that there were certain parallels with senior players who came in when when George Graham took over as the manager. You know, Charlie Nicholas, um, you know, s some big names, big personalities, but George Graham wanted to instill greater discipline, and those guys were gone, and the young guys were in. And the young guys, you know, did something incredible in 1989. And, you know, it might be a stretch to say that this is, you know, the, the same kind of thing, but it's not dissimilar in that sense. No, and, and I don't wish to scratch, scratch at our wounds because it was painful and it was um, unpleasant and it didn't, you know, play out in a way that reflected particularly well on the club necessarily. You know, it was ugly. It was ugly. Um uh, and it was a distraction at times, but it had to be done. And I think we had to go through it and Arteta had to go through it. And I sort of think you do that so that you don't face it many times again. I know we had similar situations with Gunduzi or Bamiang, but that they all established this authority that he has at Arsenal now. And I have to be honest, it's quite difficult to envisage a scenario quite like that mm. happening at this point in time because he's so assumed that authority and so has the buy-in from the players at his disposal that I sort of think it's something that he had to, a fire he had to walk through to get to where he is. No, I, th um, I think that's fair. And that you, you, fear and respect go hand in hand, blah, blah, blah. I mean, Ramsdale spoke about it before the game. How he's got his own yeah, way of that. keeping everybody in line, you know. Mm. These are these are young guys, and um, you know that there is there is a a need for buy-in and for discipline and all those kinds of things. And yeah, there were some there were some big decisions and big issues to to sort out along the way. A um, couple of quick ones to finish. Yeah, let's do it. Go on. Um, let me see. Uh, Briallant. Uh, one on the Discord. Be honest, are either one of you jealous of Rob Holding's hair? I think both of us are, aren't we? It's uh, I, I would say envious rather than, than jealous. Sure. sure. Okay. Yeah, it's... Um, I mean, it's one of the scientific wonders of the world. Uh, it's genuinely incredible. It It's such a comeback, comeback of epic proportions. No two ways about it. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this one then. There was a moment in the game in the first half. I think you'll remember it as a centre-half. You will appreciate it. But a, a corner maybe or a cross was slung into our box and Rob Holding rose seemingly about nine feet in the air <laughs> and just sent a header like into the stratosphere. 
the sort of thing that really like home fans mm. love, you know, a proper old school defensive clearance. But as he rose, he just had this mane flowing behind him, streaming like a sort of <laughs> the flames of the back of a comet. It was beautiful. Well, fair play to him. He's, you know, he's taken the hair transplant thing to a whole new level. No two ways about it. Um, you know, it, it's tempting. It's tempting. What can I tell you? He makes it look very easy. And I tell you what, Gabrielle's has really come on leaps and bounds um, after a sticky start, I would say. Uh, Liam Knight uh, 52 <laughs> says, Goodly afternoon. Can James confirm that his character name in Ted Lasso is called Hammerblog? Hammerblog. <laughs> <laughs> no, the character is actually called James uh, inventively. It was originally called uh, West Ham Reporter. Right. But um, that's the role I auditioned for, West Ham reporter. But uh, I've talked about this on uh, Waffle, our other show, where we don't talk about football. But yeah. basically, it's it's good for your CV if the character has a real name because it makes it sort of sound like a bigger deal. Oh, you know? yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're called um, Man in Suit then that's a dead giveaway on the CV that maybe you weren't the lead in that particular movie. Yeah, yeah, especially if, if you have a number. Like Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Man in Suit um, 3. Yeah, exactly. Tired Boy um, 4. Right, right. And I've done enough uh, Tired Boy 4s and Man in Suit 3s. So uh, I think it was negotiated that the character would have a name. And imaginatively, they went for James. Um mm. But yeah, I had a lot of messages about that uh, cameo. So good little scene there, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fun. It was fun, and yeah, it was quite a fun process. Like, uh, I, like I say, I, I had to audition, and I put together like a little sketch. Um, I went way beyond the Call of Duty. Basically, I went <laughs> way over the top in how much of like how much work I put in to actually get the part because um, I really thought it was like a natural crossing of my world you that's know? true I wanted to do it that's true i'm not sure about the um the uh, turtleneck but hey well they said it. i was a pretentious football reporter and i was like well, i should definitely wear a polo neck um <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of the kind of wanker that works for the athletic who wears a polo neck is very much a thing um and you know i'm i'm, I'm nearly in that bracket nearly nearly, nearly. okay final one from antarctic frog and he says, or they say, goodly afternoon, gents. I went for a run today and I pulled one short leg up a, a la Benny Blanco, Ben White, and instantly felt vastly stronger with incredible stamina. What is the science behind this? Interesting. I don't know. So he's got one short leg higher than the other. For most of the game on Sunday, I was admiring one of Ben White's thighs much more than the other one because it was far more on view. It was like, is that the one he does more work with in the gym? What's happening there? I don't know. Maybe he's got a new tattoo on there he wants to show off yeah, or something. something he but wants us to see. It, it was like one side of his shorts was from the 1980s and the other side was like modern football shorts. So mm. I don't know. Sort of it's like a half Alexis Sanchez kind of thing. Sort of, but it, it's, it's, a bit more, it's a bit more sultry than Alexis Sanchez. Yes. Alexis, you worried he was just trying to pull his shorts off uh, via frustration. Ben White, <laughs> this is, you know. ben White seems to strike a very good balance between 
um, focusing on his football and being uh, conscious of his appearance. Mm. Maybe just rolling the one short leg up is a nod to that. You know, I'm partly here for pleasure, but I'm one, one leg is pleasure, one leg is business, you know? That's it. That's it. I mean, we have to see the golden tan, the glistening bunching of we his pay our money muscles. at the Emirates Stadium. Let us look at Ben White's flesh. You are getting value for money this season, that is for sure. Anyone who was at the game on Sunday certainly got a, an eyeful. And uh, I, for one, I'm, I'm down with that. How about that? Yeah. All right. I liked it. Let's get this podcast out to everybody. Um, <laughs> Please. later than normal, I know, but, you know, I had to travel and all the rest of it, so there's not much we could do. As ever, thank you very much indeed uh, for being here. We will have some interlull stuff for you uh, to keep you entertained. Not quite sure what or when, but we will uh, we'll do our best with that. Uh, for now, take it easy, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.